back when I was in school, uh, a lot of years ago, I had to read a book called Lord of the Flies. Maybe some of you had to read that in a uh, high school class or in a literature class in college. A 1954 novel by William Golding. It tells the story of a war, and in the midst of this war, there was an evacuation, and this plane was filled with, with young uh, schoolboys who were being evacuated, and it crashed, and it crashed and landed near at a deserted island in the Pacific Ocean. The only survivors were, were boys, elementary boys, middle childhood to early or, or pre-adolescent uh, boys. And these boys get together on this island, and they elect a leader. They decide who is going to, to, to lead. And they set some goals. They say, our goals are these, to have fun, to survive, and to keep a smoke signal going so that eventually, hopefully, we'll be rescued. And so they began to, to go about building shelters and, and all of those kinds of things. But eventually, order begins to break down. Uh, these boys begin to imagine that out in, on the island, there's this beast and they begin to fear this beast, and, and they're always looking and, and, and fearful that the beast is going to get one of them. And so eventually they begin to offer sacrifices to this beast, to, to appease this beast. And all order breaks down. Eventually a, another boy decides he's going to rule the island, and, and the boys begin to fight amongst themselves. And eventually some die in the midst of, of the fighting. The island is set on fire, and there is utter chaos. Now, why do I bring up a classic novel like this today? Well, in many ways, it illustrates what's happening in our culture, in our day, when it comes to the issue of, of sexuality. Um, in the past, sexual expression was understood to occur in the, in, in the midst of a loving marriage relationship between a, a husband and a wife. That, that was understood generally by society, that, that was proper and right. And now we're breaking away from all of that. This order, this morality is seen as repressive, Victorian, outdated. And so now people are free to, to express their sexual liberty, to go where they want to go, to do what they want to do without all of these restrictions. And it looks like freedom. And to many, it looks really, really, really good. But it has been said that you cannot live in God's world without God's word. And I firmly believe that is the truth. Because you see, when we decide that we're going to go our own way, we're going to do what we want, just like on that island, when order broke down. And when you see these boys rejecting any sense of, of working together and, and saying, hey, this is the way we should be, or this is what we ought to do. Instead, you see all of that disappear, and it becomes utter chaos. And so while sexual liberty may seem so freeing in the end, brothers and sisters, lives are broken, hearts are broken, families are broken, communities fall apart, and ultimately, I believe society itself is put at risk. With something as powerful as the issue of sexuality, does the Bible have a clear word? Well, this morning as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see that Jesus has spoken clearly and directly to the issue of purity. And it is a long ways from what our culture views as acceptable. It is miles away. And in reality, every one of us of age is going to have to, to ask hard questions about whether our hearts are pure, 
about whether we're walking in a way that would honor the Lord Jesus. Understand when God gives guidance about a particular area, it's never for our harm, it's for our good. You see, when we follow God's When we follow God's ways, it's like an umbrella of protection. When a storm is coming, if we'll stay underneath his guidelines, we're protected. But the moment we decide we know better and we run out from under the umbrella of his protection, if you will, we put our lives at harm and we put the lives of those we love in harm's way as well. So God's commands and directions are always an expression of his love, his desire for for humans to flourish and to do well. Now, at this point in his ministry, Jesus is wildly popular. Crowds are gathered around to hear him teach. And he says to them, as we talked about uh, several, several weeks ago, the Beatitudes. He begins teaching the Beatitudes in this most classic sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about what it means to be a, a follower of his. And so he continues this, uh, in this morning's passage, teaching what it means to be a true follower of the Lord Jesus. Now, last week, we looked at anger. And we saw how Jesus said, you think, to the, to the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and others, you think that the command to murder is just about the act of murder, but I'm telling you, it's about what's going on inside of your heart. And so Jesus begins to explain the heart of the Old Testament law, and he's going to do that for the next several verses. Last week, again, he talked about anger and murder. Today, we'll talk about uh, purity and, and holiness in, in regards, as Jesus talks about the command uh, to avoid adultery. Let's look together at Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. In this text, Jesus teaches that sexual purity is really about the heart. Sexual purity is really about the heart. In this passage, we see three ways to guard our hearts. We see three ways to guard the purity of our heart. First, be careful about your looking. Be careful about your looking. In verse 27, Jesus begins by quoting here Exodus 20:14, the seventh commandment. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. In other words, you know what the law said, do not commit adultery. Now Jesus is going to say, you Pharisees and, and others have understood this just to be the physical act of adultery, but I want you to understand the real point of this law is something that's happening inside of your heart. Something that's happening inside of your heart. Now, at this time period, the Greek notion regarding sexuality was that it was a biological phenomenon, not a moral category. In other words, it would be classified uh, like sleep or eating or something like that. It, it wasn't really a moral category. It was just, it was a part of life. But Christianity and, of course, uh, uh, the Jewish ethic explained that sexuality was a moral category and, and had spiritual implications And so Jesus is going to say, it's not just about this physical act, but indeed it is about your heart. In verse 28, 
He says, I say to you. In other words, you've thought this, but I want you to understand the fullness of this law. Again, when he says, I, I say to you, that's emphatic. In other words, he's saying, you understand that what I'm saying is authoritative. It is the word of God on this issue. He says, everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent is guilty of adultery. Think about that. Everyone who looks. Now, we have a good example of this. And we talked about it some last week as we journeyed through the Bible in our, in our Bible study classes. But we have a great example. King David was on his palace and he was walking around and he happened to see a lady, Bathsheba, taking a bath. And instead of saying, whoa, I don't need to be here and getting downstairs in a hurry, he lingers. And before long, he sends someone and says, hey, find out about this lady. And the next thing you know, this lady's pregnant, and she's a married woman, and David has her husband ultimately put on the front lines where he will die. And so we see this rejection of God's good plan for purity bringing a lot of pain and heartache. And that's the reality of our lives today. If we go our own way, it may look like we're knowing freedom, but the reality is it's going to bring pain and heartache. God's commands are meant for our good. They're meant for our protection. So here, what was King David's mistake? Well, as soon as he saw something that he didn't need to see, he should have ran. He should have turned his head and said, I'm getting out of here because the purity of my heart is at stake. But that's not at all what happened. This past week, I read uh, an article in the New York Times about a young man, uh, 26, Alexander Rhodes, who had... Uh, who has begun a company to help those who are addicted to internet porn. At around 11 years of age, he clicked accidentally on a banner, and it took him to an explicit image. And he said from that moment on, he was hooked. And he began to look online at all of these pornographic images, and he came to the place where it was consuming his life. He couldn't have real relationships with women because he was so driven by what he was seeing online. And he, he didn't come at this as a Christian. In fact, he says, I have no trouble with, with sexuality outside of marriage. I condone that. So he's not coming at it as a, as a Christian. He was just coming at it as a person whose life had become engulfed by this. And so he started an online forum that eventually turned into a, a company and a, and a website to try to help those who were or who are addicted to porn. Now, his story made the pages of the New York Times. Why? Because... His experience is a common experience because many are entrapped and engulfed in all kinds of behavior that's, that's sinful in this regard, that's harmful in this regard. So what do we see here? We've got to be very careful what we allow our eyes to see. Now, there are times that we're going to see something that we didn't want to see. But the response when we come across something that we ought not see has got to be to flee. It's got to be to run like a bomb was fixing to go off. i got to get out of here. We can't look and take the second look. When we take the second look, we're compromising the purity of our hearts. And when we do, there's a danger that we're going to harm ourselves in a huge way and even those that we love. So we've seen to maintain a pure heart We must be careful about our looking, what we allow our eyes to look at. Second, 
We must be careful about our thinking. We must be careful about our thinking. Look in verse 28. He says, when you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery. What's lustful intent? In other words, in our hearts, we're, we're looking at this lady and we're allowing our minds to go places that are impure. We're, we're allowing our thoughts to, to go there. And Jesus says, the moment you do that, you're, you're guilty of adultery. Don't you understand? It's not just the physical act. God is interested in what's happening inside of your heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God, God looks at the heart. And so in, in verse 28, he says you're guilty. You're guilty of adultery if you're allowing your mind to go there. You're, gui- you're guilty of adultery. William Struthers is a psychologist who specializes in neuroscience. And maybe some of you have read some of the studies related to neuroplasticity. And that is the study of how our brains are actually physically shaped by what we think about and study and learn. Like our, our brains, the actual physical structure of our brains changes, scientists believe, based on what we focus on and, and, and think about. And so in a book called Wired for Intimacy, Struthers examines the effects of pornography on the male brain. He says that the male brain is, is created for intimacy and for relationships. And he said it's meant to foster, of course, a relationship with, with a wife. But he argues that as... Uh, a male views explicit images, and he begins to think on these images, that the brain actually begins to take a different physical shape. That is, it begins to rewire itself in such a way that it hijacks the normal functioning uh, of a man's brain for intimacy with his wife. So, Struthers says about men who've become consumed by, by pornography, he says they have unknowingly created a neurological circuit that imprisons their ability to see women rightly has created in God's image. Repeated exposure to pornography creates a one-way neurological superhighway where a man's mental life is over-sexualized and narrowed. It is hemmed in on either side by high containment walls, making escape nearly impossible. And so what Struthers is saying is that as we allow ourselves to go places that we shouldn't go. We allow our eyes to take in things that we shouldn't see and we allow our mind to go places that we shouldn't allow it to go. He says it's literally rewiring our brain and making it incredibly difficult to live a life of purity, to live a life that that would allow us to rightly relate to a a spouse. Now I want to plead with you. Uh, Those of you who are teenagers here today, I want to say a word to you. I want to plead with you, please, please be careful about looking at explicit images. Please don't do it. Recognize that you think, well, this is no big deal. I'll stop one of these days. Understand that you may well be putting yourself on a road to being trapped for the rest of your life or for years and years and years. And you may be taking a path that's going to cause great harm to you. I plead with you young people, truly to everyone, but but I think it is especially precarious or difficult to grow up in this culture today as a teenager. I plead with you, if you're struggling with this, if you've, if you've kind of been uh, experimenting with this, please go to your dad or your mom and say, hey, I need some help. Talk to a, a trusted, uh, maybe your Sunday school teacher or Brother Ralph or, or me or someone, but get help. Don't continue down that path. It's a dangerous path. It's a dangerous path for any of us. And if you're taking that path, 
you need to get help. You need to talk with someone. You need to make a change. And according to Struthers, and according to many, the experience of many, it's difficult to get off of that path. Once, once you're addicted to this stuff, once you're, you're, you're hemmed in, if you will, by this stuff. So to maintain our purity, we need to be very careful about our looking. We need to be very careful about our thinking. We also need to be very careful about our responding. That is to say, how are we going to respond when this sin comes into our life? When this sin begins to, to rear its ugly head? Well, look in verse 29. What does Jesus say? If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Gouge it out. Now, the right eye was viewed as critical. Josephus, the early Jewish historian, said that there was a king who, captured, uh, who would capture men and he would pluck out the right eye because basically they would, they would be uh, incapacitated as a warrior because generally they would hold the shield and their left eye would be sort of guarded by the shield. Their vision would be limited. And so without a right eye, they were of no value when it came to war. And so the right eye was considered incredibly vital. And so Jesus says... If your right eye causes you to sin, get rid of it. And he goes on to say, if your right hand causes you to sin, and of course that's the dominant hand for most people. If if your right hand causes you to sin, pull the saw out and saw the thing off. We know that Jesus doesn't literally mean that we need to pluck our eye out or we need to saw it. All of us would be walking around eyeless and handless, limbless, wouldn't we? He doesn't mean that, but what is he saying? He's saying that we must deal radically with our sin. We can't play games with it. We can't treat it like it's small. It's not small. And the results of this sin are not going to be small in our lives. No, when when we're thinking of sin, our response must be to have a radical view. So how do we respond We do whatever it takes to walk in purity. Whatever it takes. That's what Jesus is saying. Do whatever it takes. And he says it's better for you to walk around without a right hand than than to be in hell. It's better for you to walk around without a right eye than to be in hell. What does he mean here? Well, he certainly doesn't mean that if you gouge your eye out, you won't struggle with impurity anymore. That's not what he means. We know that. Because you can can cut your your hand off and you can cut your eye off, but you'll still have a sinful heart. in, in the third century, Origen, in fact, reading this scripture, emasculated himself. But that's not far enough. Why? Because the issue isn't physical. The issue is a heart issue. And that's what Jesus is teaching. He's saying, if your heart isn't right, then deal with it. And take whatever action you need to do to walk in uprightness of heart. Now, why would he mention hell here? Well, if a person is committed to living a life of impurity... And a person lives a sexually impure life and they don't mind living there. There's real reason to believe that person doesn't know Jesus. Because when we come to know Jesus, he begins to shape our hearts so that we don't want to be that anymore. It's not to say that we don't still struggle with our flesh and the temptations that the devil throws at us. But we don't want to be impure when we know Jesus. And so he says here, if, if you're walking that path of impurity and in a sense you're happy to be there, you don't want to cut your right hand off and you don't want to gouge your eye out, it may well be that you're on your way to hell. Why? 
Because a heart that's been changed by Jesus wants to walk in a different way. And if we don't want to walk in a different way, it may well be evidence that we have never known him. Now, this cuts right to the core of self-righteous religion. And this is what I mean. A lot of the times we think, well, as long as my behavior is pretty good and I'm a pretty good person, then God's going to say, hey, come on into heaven. No big deal. That sin thing, it's not big. You weren't that bad. Jesus is telling us here, even the things that go on in your heart will keep you out of heaven. Our sin is going to be dealt with in the fires of hell or it will be dealt with at the foot of the cross when in repentance we turn from our sin and we call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know I've gone, I've gone my own way. Forgive me. I want to follow you. And so if you've never trusted Jesus today, that, that's my word for you. Call out to him and say, I know I've, I've, done, I've done life my way. I don't want that anymore. I don't want to sin. I don't want to walk this way. I want to follow you and believe you. And the moment you call out to God, turning from sin and believing in Jesus, the scriptures tell us, that from that moment on, you belong to him. And he will begin to change your heart. It won't be, probably won't be overnight that everything about you changes, but he'll begin to shape you and to remake you. So be careful about your responding. If you had some health issues going on and you went to the doctor and the doctor told you that you had a cancer diagnosis, some of you have actually walked that path, but... And the doctor said to you, if you move forward with surgery, I want you to know I believe that we can be completely successful in eradicating this, and there's a good chance you'll never have to face it again. Now, if you got that kind of diagnosis and that kind of recommendation from your doctor, it's really unlikely that you would say, well, hey, give me a few weeks, maybe a couple months to think on it. No, if you got that kind of a recommendation from your doctor, you'd say, hey, hey, when can we schedule surgery? Let's get moving on this because you would understand that your life was at stake. And to be saved, it required radical action to open you up and cut something out. So when it comes to purity, we can't play games. When it comes to responding, we've got to do whatever it takes to walk in purity. We must gouge our eyes out. We must cut off our right hands. Literally, we must do whatever it takes to break free. This is urgent. It is urgent. So let's think through how we respond to this passage in a practical way. First, develop a plan for purity, not for the desires of the flesh. Develop a plan for purity, not for the desires of the flesh. In other words, decide now that if you see a person whose dress is stimulating, that instead of focusing on that person, you're going to turn your eyes. So so decide, hey, I'm going to go and do this and, and this or that. And if I see something that is not right, that wouldn't encourage my heart to be pure, I'm committed now. God, I want to turn my head. I don't want to take that in. So God, I'm asking you, will you help me to walk in purity? Will you help me to turn immediately, to flee? When David should have ran off that castle roof or that palace roof and got inside, God, will you help me to run? Will you help me to flee? So decide that you're going to make a plan for purity, not for the desires of your flesh. Don't go places where you know you'll be tempted. Maybe in your flesh you kind of think, well, I've got a good reason to go there. And you kind of come up with another reason. But the reality is you're going there, whether it's online or a physical place, so that you can kind of take a little bit of something in that you probably shouldn't take in. No, if you're going to go somewhere that, that could be a temptation, the beach, for example, come up with a plan to maintain your purity. If you're going with, a, with a, a spouse, say to your wife, 
hey, honey, help me make sure that my eyes don't wander. Then you got your wife watching you. Now you're in a lot of trouble, right? But that's good. We want pure hearts. We want hearts that honor God. What we need to understand is this. The world says that life is found as you do whatever you want sexually, but Jesus says life is found when you come and discover me. You see, Jesus says, I've come to have life and have it to the full. Where is life really found? It's found in knowing Jesus and treasuring him and loving him, and that's better than all the garbage that the world has to offer. It's so much better. Some of you are trapped today here, but Jesus, he wants you to know him. He wants you to know the freedom of walking in purity and in the joy of fellowship with him. So plan for purity. When you're going to travel, if you're going to be traveling alone, make plans to guard your purity. Tell an accountability partner, hey, check on me, pray for me. Make make plans in areas where you might be tempted. Make plans for purity. Satan's going to come after you. He's going to come after all of us. We must be diligent to saw our right hands off, to gouge our eyes out. We must be diligent to maintain purity. Don't go to sites online where you think, you know, I'm going here to, to read the article. Sure, there might be some images that are a little risque, or I'm going here because this is a funny site. Might have some risque. No, don't, just don't go there. Avoid it. Recognize that your heart is too easily pulled away from the Lord. What about movies that are explicit or edgy? A lot of the times we'll watch funny movies, and we're going because it's funny, even though they're filled with a lot of filth. How can we guard our hearts How can we walk in holiness when we're taking all that in, when we're not being careful about our looking and our thinking? We can't, folks. You see, our response must be radical. If it means I'm going to quit going to this kind of movie, then I'll stop. If it means I'm going to quit doing this or that, I'll stop. I'll cut my hand off. I'll do what it takes. Second, confess sin to a mature believer of the same sex. Confess sin to a mature believer of the same sex. Get someone who will pray for you. Get someone who will give you accountability. If you're struggling in this area, I also want to encourage you, if if you're struggling in this area, to have a conversation with your spouse. And it may be that you need to seek guidance and some wise counsel before you have that conversation. But you don't need to have some hidden life going on that that your spouse doesn't know about. They need to know your struggles, not in in in-depth, terrible detail, but they need to know. Your, Your husband or your wife needs to know. And that will be another layer of protection for you. Third, do whatever it takes to flee sexual temptation. Do whatever it takes. If you need to quit going to the gym, then don't go to the gym. Or if you need to change to a flip phone and get rid of the smartphone, then change to the flip phone. Isn't that what Jesus means when he says, gouge your eyes out? If you need to agree to not use a computer or a tablet except when your spouse is home or when your parents are home or or whatever, do that. Whatever it takes, do that. Consider using filtering software or accountability software where if you visit a website, where you go gets reported to an accountability partner. Uh, I use Covenant Eyes, and wherever I go online, my wife gets a report of that, and she can ask me about it. Hey, what was this? What, what What were you looking at? And that's good. Why? Because my heart's wicked apart from Christ. I don't need to give myself an opportunity to walk in impurity. I need to be careful. We need to be careful. We need to, we need to gouge our eyes out. Whatever it takes. 
Some of you may need to go so far as to get rid of the internet at your house. (gasps) How could I do that? Oh, it's better to cut your right hand off or to gouge your right eye out. It's better to do that than to walk away from the Lord. It's much better. Fourth, if you are a believer, your body is God's temple. If you're a believer, your body is God's temple. So your sexuality isn't about you and what you want to do. If you belong to Jesus, your body belongs to him. You want to honor him with your body. Fifth, help other believers maintain purity. Help other believers maintain purity. So things like filthy talk. I'm going to tell this dirty joke. No, don't even do that. Well, it's funny. I don't care if it's funny. It just encourages impurity. Don't go there. Don't, don't go the, or, or sending a friend this, this, funny, this video that's really funny but has some, some parts in it that are, that are out of line. Don't, don't do that. Help each other's purity. Don't encourage impurity. What about modesty? We, we ought to be careful that we dress in a way that, that, honors, that honors God. If we belong to him, our bodies are his temple. And also it's a way to help others walk in purity. So, so be careful about what you wear. And teenage girls, I want to I say to you, if, if your dad or your mom says, hey, honey, that shirt's a little too low or that skirt's a little too high or those clothes are a little too tight, please listen to them. Don't, don't fight them. Work with them. They're trying to protect your heart and the hearts of others as well. So, so, so work on modesty. It's a way to help other people walk in purity. We don't want to be the cause for someone else. Every person's responsible ultimately for their sin, but we don't want to be the cause that encourages their sin. We, we don't want to do that. We want to, we want to love people better than that. Parents, let me speak to you. Let me plead with you. Parents, in this regard, you have such a huge weight of protecting your children. None of you would take a big trunk of filth and put in your kid's room. But understand, you're doing that and far worse when you put a a phone in their hand that isn't monitored. You're doing far worse when, when you allow computer access or television access without clear protections in place. Do you understand? It's worse than putting a trunk of the worst kind of magazines. It's worse than that. The potential for their harm is huge. So parents, please protect your kids. And brothers and sisters, please protect your own hearts Putting, putting protections in place is inconvenient. But isn't that what it means to cut off your right hand or gouge out your right eye? It'll cost you some money and it'll be, it'll be a trouble or a hassle sometimes. It is worth it. If you go to our website and you go to resources, you can click on online protection and there's some tools there and links to some articles that might help you as you try to protect your children as you try to protect your own heart i want to encourage you to consider doing that sixth if you're married maintain intimacy with your spouse if you're married maintain intimacy with your spouse go on date nights schedule times to be intimate with one another have a conversation about this as a as a husband and wife You need to have conversations about what's happening in this area of your life. You you need to talk through it. If you're not careful, the busyness of life, the arrival of children, all these things have a way of causing your own relationship to erode. Not necessarily purposely, but just trying to survive, trying to keep everything going. No, be careful about that. Maintain your closeness and your intimacy. It's very important. 
You know when a family has trouble or uh, a child will call on their parents and say, hey, dad, I, I need help, or mom, I need help. Or if there is a terrible illness and someone finds themselves in the hospital, who will be surrounding that hospital bed? It'll be family members. It'll be a, a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister, a mom or a dad, maybe a cousin or an aunt or an uncle. Because when something happens, families come together and, and, they, and they help God meant it that way. That's, that's a part of what we're talking about in God's good plan and protection. But did you know that God also planned for every single person who knows him to be a part of a church family, to be a member of a church that's committed to him and committed to his word, to be a part of a church where you're not out there on your own alone. And so today I want to say to you, if you find yourself struggling in this area and you find yourself being pulled away from the Lord, Today, would you reach out to a brother or sister in Christ? Ladies, would you reach out to a, to a mature Christian woman? Brothers, would you reach out to a mature Christian man and say, listen, I need some help. I need help. That's what families are meant for. That's what a church family is meant to be. We help each other. We struggle. We, we struggle together. And so pull together and lean into uh, our church family if you're here today and you are, you are losing this battle, I plead with you, please, 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 don't wait a day. Cut off your right hand. Talk to another believer. Gouge out your right eye. I began speaking about the Lord of the Flies. And in that book, there's a character named Simon. And Simon has an imaginary conversation with this pig's head. This pig's head was given as a sacrifice to the beast that these boys were confident uh, that, that was wandering the island and that wanted to, to kill them and eat them and destroy them. This pig's head had been offered as a sacrifice to this beast. And so Simon began to have this imaginary conversation with this pig's head. And in this imaginary conversation, Simon realized that the beast wasn't out there but that the beast was right here, that these boys' hearts were filled, were filled with darkness. And without some order and without some guidance and without some structure, they were each one going their own way and doing what was right, if you will, in their own eyes. And the reality is the Bible teaches that every one of us has a heart that is broken by sin and a heart that wants to go our own way. And every one of us desperately needs Jesus. And so today, I want to say to you, maybe you've thought that one of these days when you face the Lord Jesus, when you died and you face the Lord Jesus, you thought, you know what? He'll, he'll let me by. He'll, he'll, he'll take his scale out and he'll say, well, he's been more good than bad. I'll let him in. Brothers and sisters, this passage reminds us it does not work that way that God looks at our heart. And if our heart is sinful, we have no hope of being with him in heaven. And every one of us has a sinful heart. So what do we do? We ask him to take that heart that's filled with darkness to forgive us and to give us a new heart, a heart of flesh that loves him and honors him. If you do not know the Lord Jesus today, surely that is God's word to you. Come, believe, follow me. Join me in prayer.